the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, broadcasting from my offices in Cambrian Park, uh, the Cambrian Park neighborhood of San Jose. And um, I hope you enjoy the show today. I'm going to be following my usual format of questions and comments from around the state of California. Uh, I will let you all know that I am still debating with myself whether to do another estate planning workshop in October. Not quite sure if I'm going to do that yet, but if I am, you'll be among the first to know that I'm doing that. I want to let you all know uh, you can feel free to book a consultation with me by going to my website at lawbob.com. And clicking on the Book a Call button, you can book consultations for estate planning, for probate and trust administration, for special court petitions that I do. Um, If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know about those. Um, Or if you need to do other special planning for somebody, such as a special needs family member, It can all be booked through that one button on my website at lawbob.com. I don't charge for consultations, and um, they're they're not long consultations, but I have found that even a 15-minute consultation is enough time to determine whether or not, number one, I can help you solve the problem that caused you to contact me in the first place, And number two, whether or not you want to work with me to solve that problem. And it's as simple as that. Okay. um, So here uh, here is one out of Ontario, California. Not the other Ontario in Canada, although... When you have Ontario CA, the first thing you might think of is Canada. (laughs) I don't know that Canada is abbreviated as CA except on websites. Uh, It might be abbreviated that way. I'm not. Maybe it's CN. In any event, out of Ontario, California, person said, my father is in the hospital. His sister had him sign a power of attorney claiming to be his wife. He's still legally married to my mother. 
Um, we cannot... Uh, my aunt isn't allowing us to see our father in the hospital. She told the hospital she is his wife to make all decisions for him. She claims to have power of attorney to do that. Well, I would say right out uh, that your mother should go to the hospital and provide proof that she is, in fact, your father's wife and not your aunt. And uh, I might turn around and even contact the authorities and say, my aunt is impersonating my father's wife, uh, claiming to be his wife in order to uh, block our access to him in the hospital. Um, that's basically identity theft and probably prosecutable as a crime. So that would be my suggestion there is go to the authorities, complain to the authorities. It's not really a civil matter when someone is pretending to be somebody else um, and provide proof to the hospital that she's not, in fact, your mother's wife, but is your your father's sister. And you probably have something that proves that uh, or something that can document that. Uh, but mainly your mother should be going to the hospital, taking the lead on this and uh, and ordering um, ordering her to no longer have any contact with your father, um, what she's apparently denying to you right now. Okay, here's a question out of San Francisco. A uh, couple says, we're living in New Zealand and we have assets in New Zealand and in California. How does that affect how or where we establish a living or revocable living trust? Okay, well, if you own assets in California, even if you're not resident here, you could establish a trust in California to hold the title to those assets. I don't think you could establish a trust in New Zealand because their laws don't really work the same way as here in the United States. Uh, other countries do not have the whole concept of a revocable living trust, uh, which means to handle assets in New Zealand, you're likely going to be going to a solicitor, which is a type of lawyer, to draw up the appropriate will or other document that they use in New Zealand to handle those assets. But assets here in California, even if you're not a citizen, you could have a trust drawn up in California to hold the assets here primarily for probate avoidance, because I think that's actually what someone would want to do is avoid probate in California, especially if they're a resident of another country. Okay, uh, out of Cyprus, California, someone says, Hello, I'm in California. I didn't know my grandmother had a trust for me. According to my father, however, my grandmother took me out of her trust because I didn't receive my university degree by age 23. I was in community college at the time, but she said that didn't count. I do have my bachelor's degree now. Well, day late and a dollar short, if you've heard that expression. Um, now, I think it's kind of not very cool if he didn't know that grandma 
had this requirement that in order to stay in her trust, that he get a university degree by age 23. Seems to me that would be important information to communicate to a grandchild um, so that they're aware that they're, they are receiving something, but there's conditions attached to it. That being said, um, if grandma did in fact take the grandchild out of the trust because the grandchild had, did not get a university degree by age 23, there's really nothing you can do about that at this time. Grandma has the right to leave her property to whomever she wishes with whatever conditions she imposes on it as long as those conditions are not illegal or void because they're against public policy. Um, requiring that you get a college degree by age 23 is not illegal and it's not against public policy. So I don't think there's much of anything that this person can do. Okay, so here's out of Santa Rosa. Someone said, I'm completing a trust and the software I used, oh, right there, the software you used, provides the notary page and a page for two witnesses. After reviewing some things on the internet, you know that law firm called the uh, called Google? Everyone's saying it's not required to have either a notary or witnesses. That is true. A trust does not have to be notarized, and in California, we don't witness them. The only state I'm aware of where you witness a trust is Florida. Okay, here it says, I want to have it notarized, but getting two witnesses is problematic. You don't need two witnesses. You don't need to have it notarized, but it's generally a good idea to have it notarized because what that does is provide an extra layer of proof that you, in fact, signed that trust document. Okay, we're coming up on the first break of the show today. When we come back, there'll be more Plan Your Estate Radio with your host attorney, Bob Bergman. I'll pick you up on the other side of the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney, Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back to more questions and comments from around the state of California. So I'm going to jump to Sacramento, California now. This is one from a few days ago. It says, I am beneficiary to a will and trust, but it seems though the probate and transfer of property has already been finished, I'm now being challenged by my siblings that are blood-related but not part of the trust and will. Now my lawyer has informed me it can proceed to a trial. What should I expect and why is the trust not being honored? Well, let's start first by saying that anybody can challenge anything in a court of law. That doesn't mean they're going to win. What you should expect is that if they're challenging the validity of the will and trust, there's some very specific reasons why they could challenge that they would actually have to prove in order successfully to successfully challenge. Uh, someone coming to me with a situation like this, I would ask them, um, do you know why these siblings of yours were not included in the trust and the will of um, your parent, because it sounds like it's a parent. 
Do you know any reason why? Were you the caregiver for your parent? Did you take your parent to get this will and trust drawn up by an attorney somewhere or a paralegal? Or did you prepare it for your parent and then have them sign it and have it witnessed and notarized? Um, People often will challenge. If they're going to challenge a will or a trust, they're going to challenge on the basis that the person who was doing it lacked the legal capacity at the time they signed. They lacked sufficient mental capacity to actually sign the document and understand what they were signing, uh, or they were being unduly influenced by um, someone, a family member or an unrelated party, maybe a caretaker of some kind that uh, that actually uh, used their influence or sway over the person to get them to um, to leave everything to them and, and cut out maybe other people that normally would have received part of the inheritance. The bottom line is the burden of proof in most cases, unless it's a caregiver that's involved, the burden of proof is on whoever is filing the lawsuit to somehow prove that um, that they're, that the person who... Um, the person who made the will or the trust was um, didn't know what they were doing, and the validity of the will or trust should be able to be attacked because of that. Okay, so here's all right. Here's another will contest question. So this person out of Modesta says, "Okay, it hasn't happened yet, and I don't wish my mom to die." But I'm the heir for her house. She has a boyfriend. I've been told that in my mom's will, he can stay there until he dies. Then the house is mine. My question is, can I contest this will? Hmm. Interesting question. If this person is the only heir of the parent, um, the potential downside of contesting has kind of been taken away because if the will ends up being found to be invalid, then presumably this property would pass to this person asking the question as the only heir of the mother. But this is similar to the previous one. The question in my mind would be, why would the mother give the boyfriend the right to live in her house until he dies. Presumably the boyfriend uh, might be a similar age to the mother. Maybe it's a younger boyfriend, Um, in which case it's even worse for the heir. Uh, The idea that the heir has to wait for potentially several years or tens of years to actually inherit the property from the mom, that's not going to sit well with a lot of people, especially if it's a boyfriend and not a spouse. The question I would be asking here is, did the boyfriend, who, by the way, is not a spouse and therefore not necessarily um, in a special relationship with the mother, uh, if he was acting as a caregiver for the mother, then there's special rules there. Uh, and, And the special rules there are that a caregiver 
the presumption is that if a caregiver is left a property right like this, that it was due to undue influence by the caregiver on the person who created the will. And uh, that might very well be a basis for challenging the will. There's not enough information to answer the question definitively, but it certainly is worth looking into to see whether or not there was some kind of pressure or undue influence being asserted by the boyfriend to get this special deal. Um, I mean, I would ask the question, is the boyfriend supposed to pay any mortgage, taxes, insurance, maintenance, things like that? That would be an important question right there. Because if there's nothing like that, how is that person supposed to be able to live there? Who's going to be paying all those expenses? Um, That's a real question. I have done similar types of things in estate plans where there is an occupancy right for someone that um, goes after the owner of the property has died. But it is always based on a lot of very specific conditions. There's requirements for the person occupying the property to typically pay things like taxes and insurance and most maintenance. If you're going to leave a property for someone to occupy and they're not going to be paying for those things, then you better make sure you're leaving a bunch of money or other resources behind to maintain that property while that person's living in it. Just saying, um, I let this, I want to let this person live in my house for the rest of his or her life. That doesn't explain who's going to pay the bills. There is no magic bill paying fairy that comes along to pay the taxes and insurance and maintenance, utilities, all kinds of things like that on a property. So if you're considering doing something like that, make sure it's done correctly and properly. You need to consult with an estate planning attorney such as Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, to make sure that it's set up in such a way that it's going to make sense and it would actually work. Um, I see this every now and then. People have done this in their trust, but they haven't made any provision for how the property is going to be maintained. And anyone who owns a property knows there are costs associated with keeping a property. That's just the way it is. So we're at the mid-show break. And when we come back, we'll come back for the second half of today's show on Plan Your Estate Radio. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue with some more questions and comments from around the state of California. <clears throat> also, I'll throw out there, if anyone would like to call in and ask me a question on the air, the number is 800-516-1220. Feel free to do that. Um, be happy to take a call on the show today if you'd like to call in. 800-516-1220. Okay. Out of La Palma, California, this is another one dealing with contesting, uh, contesting, in this case, a living trust. 
says, my stepdad did a living trust in June and passed away in August. I have some concerns about his mental capacity at the time. I do believe he was pressured to change beneficiaries and his wishes in the end. Is there anything I can do at this point? Well, first of all, if you were in, um, if stepdad had a trust before that included you as a beneficiary and then it all changed in June and uh, all the beneficiaries changed, the question becomes, who was involved in his life at that time? Do you have any evidence that his mental capacity was impaired in June? Uh, was there a diagnosis, for example, a dementia or Alzheimer's diagnosis from a doctor back then? Um, contesting someone's trust just because they change beneficiaries, you really have to be able to demonstrate either undue influence or that the person lacked the mental capacity to do that, uh, or what's called fraud, uh, menace, someone threatened him physically or emotionally, uh, someone uh, lied to him and defrauded him, uh, told him lies about something, and he acted based on those lies. Um, it's very hard to actually contest a will or a trust without rock-solid evidence um, to support your claim. Now, if someone has been removed from an estate plan and they would be someone who would be in the usual course of business would be, would be someone who would normally inherit from that person, then challenging that will or trust has no particular downside except that it's going to cost you money to do it. Because here's a little known secret. If someone is disinherited in a will or a trust, and the will or trust says that if you challenge this, then you are removed and you don't receive anything. <coughs> Excuse me. If you have already been removed because you're disinherited, you literally have nothing to lose if you challenge the will or the trust. Um, because if it says you get nothing if you challenge, if you're already getting nothing, um, there's not much else that can be done to you because um, you're already getting nothing. So uh, I often suggest to people that if you want to make sure uh, as much as possible that someone's not going to challenge something, then consider leaving them uh, an amount of money that is significant, significant enough that they might think twice about going to court and fighting, knowing that if they don't win, they're going to lose that money that's been left to them. For example, if they'd ordinarily get a million dollars, leaving them $50,000 might be enough to get them to just take that and go away. If you leave them nothing and there's a million dollars potentially on the table, that could be an incentive for someone to actually contest and attack things and try and force some kind of a settlement or something. And 
I'll tell you, when there's money on the table, people can find a lawyer willing to represent them. Uh, whether it's a strong case or not, um, there are many lawyers that will take cases that are not that strong just so they can try and force a settlement of some kind. I don't particularly believe in that kind of practice of law myself. I think it's borderline dishonest, but at the same time, it happens. It's real life, and it happens. So that's um, something that I would consider right there, is uh, maybe leaving a healthy amount to someone instead of disinheriting them so as to encourage them not to go in and attack your plan. Okay, can someone force a sale of half of a house when the other owner is dead? Hmm, this is an interesting one. The two co-owners were divorced before one died, and the other owner is still alive. The family living trust that they had was canceled on entry of the divorce judgment. No probate has been initiated for the dead co-owner. Okay, well, you can force the sale of a house if there are now two owners of the property, but if one of them has died, there's no one that has the authority to represent the deceased person or even to sign on behalf of the deceased person unless there is a probate commenced. So it could very well be a very long process to get that property sold. And the other thing is, good luck trying to sell half of a property. Uh, most people I'm aware of, when they buy a house or land or a commercial building or a multi-unit building or something like that, they want to buy 100% of the property. People really aren't interested in buying half of a property. So even though it's theoretically possible to sell half of a house, if the other half owner is deceased, as a practical matter, who's going to be willing to buy half of a house or half of a building or half of a parcel of land? It kind of is uh, practically not possible to do that. Um, legally, it could be done. As a practical matter, no one's going to do that. Okay, how can I add someone to an existing trust? This is from West Covina, California. I was the beneficiary of my grandmother's living trust. When I die, I want my house to go to a friend of mine. Can I add him to this already existing trust that my house is already in? Can I do this? No, you can't. If grandma's trust left the property in trust for you, the only way that you could leave the property to your friend is if grandma's trust provides in it that either the house is distributed directly to you so that you can then do your own estate plan to leave the house to your friend, either a will or preferably a trust, or if grandma's trust gave you what's called a power of appointment, the power to decide where that property goes at your death. And the power of appointment would have to be broad enough to include your friend. 
It might say that you can appoint the property to any of grandma's descendants. That would be uh, your parent from that grandmother, uh, aunts and uncles, nieces, nephews of those, your cousins, rather, uh, other siblings you may have. But if there is no power of appointment and the property was actually left in trust for you for your lifetime, it probably already indicates that there are other beneficiaries to receive that property after you pass away. And if that's the case, the literally the only way that you could change things is to go to court to modify grandma's trust to give you the power to appoint the property to your friend. And that would take the cooperation of all the um, the remainder beneficiaries of that trust, the people who would receive the property when you die, uh, in, in order to consent to that. And chances are probably pretty good that they're not going to consent to that, um, especially if it turns out that it's other family members um, that are going to be receiving the property after you're gone. So, uh, I think I may have time for one more of these. Um, one more of these before the third break of the show today. Okay, person out of Modesto said, "I'm planning on getting married soon." Can I still do a separate living trust for my home after I get married? I don't have many assets. I only own one home. I'd like to keep it as separate property. Can I still do a separate living trust after I get married and exclude my new spouse from the home? The short answer is yes. Um, the broader question, though, is are you going to be able to keep that separate home separate from the marriage and provide for the maintenance and taxes and insurance and utilities and everything from separate property that is separate from the marriage. If not, you may find that your spouse starts acquiring a community property interest in that home, regardless of whether you keep it just to your name or put it into a separate living trust. The better approach would be to enter into a marital agreement with your fiance before you get married where your fiancé acknowledges that that's your property and it's going to stay your property. You need a family lawyer for that, not an estate planning attorney. Okay, we're coming up on the third break of the show today. When we come back, I will finish off the show with the final questions and comments from around the state of California. Stay tuned for the last segment of Plan Your State Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. And welcome back to the final segment of our show today. Um, out of Redlands, California. Um, question, is it possible to change a home address on a trust ourselves without an attorney and have it notarized ourselves and filed? Mother has a trust with her former home address. She since sold that home and purchased a new one. She'd like the new home added and the old one removed from the trust. Is it possible to rewrite the page with the address on it 
have the trust notarize it again and then file the trust ourselves? Also, who has the trust besides the bank and the attorney? Who needs a copy? I'll tell you. If you sell your home that's in a trust and buy a new home, all you have to do is make sure that the title to the new home is titled in the name of you as trustee of your trust. You don't have to change the trust. If you consider the trust as being kind of like a big toy box for your toys and things like your house and bank accounts and brokerage accounts and jewelry and Krugerrands and works of art and all that, those are all the toys that you have. And if you put them in the box, it doesn't change the toy box. And if you take something out of the toy box and sell it and buy something else, a new toy, you put it in the toy box, it doesn't change the toy box. So here, don't mess with the trust itself. Don't try and republish it. Don't, don't write on it. Don't do things like, people do that stuff all the time. And you never, never, never should write on any legal document that you've already signed and had witnessed or notarized because that can have the legal effect of successfully removing what you crossed out but not successfully inserting what you wrote in by hand. And then you end up with a hole in the document. And if it's a serious hole in the document, the only person that can fill that hole is a judge in the probate court. So please, 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 please to, to a hundredth do not alter any legal documents by writing on them, scratching things out, writing new things in. Just don't do it. Follow the proper formalities for making changes. Here, there's no change that needs to be made to mom's trust. All she did was sell her old house and buy a new house. Just make sure it's titled in the name of the trust and you're good to go. I would suggest also if there's an asset schedule associated with the trust, update the asset schedule and remove the old house and then put in the information about the new house on the asset schedule. Asset schedules, by the way, should be both dated and signed by the person who set up the trust. That I consider to be the best practice right there. Okay, now here's an interesting one because it's it's a, a situation that I do come into now and then. Um, someone dies, they own a house, and the family wants to be able to um, sell the house as quickly as possible, but it's going to take two or three, or in some counties even longer, uh, months to get into court for someone to be appointed as the executor if there's a will or the administrator if the person did not have a will. So here out of Sacramento, the question, can my sister sell my deceased mother's house the day she is named administrator? It says, we're trying to get this house sold because it's losing value. My mother died intestate in February. That means no will intestate. My sister will be named administrator. This is from the past on August 26th, so several months later. We're expecting our sister to get full authority 
uh, under the Independent Administration of Estates Act, which is a law that permits the uh, administrator, executor to do a lot of things without having to get them cleared first by the court. My brother and I, who are the only siblings, all three of us are the only heirs and are all in agreement. So if she can sell the house the day she's named administrator, we want to enter into a contract now to sell the home, which has a 90-day expiration date. What I would do is this, and I've advised people, you can market the house in the listing, and I have special language, don't just try and do this on your own, I have special language that goes into the listing that indicates that any sale is subject to so-and-so being appointed as the executor or administrator, as the case may be, of the estate of owner of the property on or after, um, on or after, and then the date of the hearing when that is going to happen. Um, Then any purchase offer that comes in, the same language goes in there so that if for some reason that person's not appointed as the administrator or executor, there's no requirement to complete the sale. But if that's in there, then yes, the moment that person is appointed, they get letters of administration or letters testamentary issued by the court. They can go and they can complete the sale of the property, close the escrow right away, and then not spend even more time waiting to get the property sold. Okay, well, we're at the end of our show today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. You've learned a few things today. Uh, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And hopefully I'll be talking with you again next Friday. Until then, have a great weekend, Bay Area. Goodbye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's Dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.